chapter 1. So if you would please meet me in Psalm 1. The text reads like this. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Before we spend some time What is the chief end of man? This question stands as the first question of the Westminster Catechism written by the Westminster Assembly in the year 1647. The Catechism begins with one of the most profound questions that man can ever contemplate. What is the ultimate goal of mankind? Whether we, realize, whether we realize this or not, each and every one of us has answered this question either consciously or unconsciously. Our simple everyday actions show us exactly where we place value in our lives. For instance, if you are spending hours a day upon social media, then that time on your phone is valuable to you. If each day you come home from work and the only thing that you are concerned about is watching the next episode of the TV show that you are watching, that time is valuable to you. I could stand up here for hours listing off examples of how we allocate our time, like spending time with friends and family, sleeping or reading, but the point still stands. Where, where, if we want to see what we value in life, look to where we are using our time. Now, let me point out that none of these things are inherently evil. I'll be the first to say among you that I love consuming media for myself and find enjoyment in a large variety of different things. These things that we invest our time in only become sinful when they become our chief end, our sole purpose in life. So what is the chief end of man? According to the Westminster Catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What this confession is proclaiming is incredibly profound Notice that, the question, now notice that the confession does not ask what the chief end of the Christian is, but instead of man. 
This is because this confession realizes that mankind as a whole is profoundly religious. There will always be something in a person's life that, that they will worship and love, whether that be God or something earthly. Mankind was created to worship God and to his, enjoy his presence forever. But when sin entered into our world, our priorities began to change. Instead of rejoicing in our creator, we began to rejoice in creation, creating two distinct pathways in life. One that follows and honors God as our creator and one that honors and worships ourselves. This is now the problem that our culture and every culture ever has faced. As the UK and our community around us becomes more post-Christian, they are trading in the truth of God for a lie. According to the 2021 census data here in the UK, this was the first time ever recorded that under 50% of the UK claimed to be Christian, dropping 13% since 2011. Our culture has decided that they want to find a new chief end of man, one that satisfies their own interests. Only we know that they will never find a wholly satisfying answer. They will only come up with replacements for God, for them to try and glorify and worship, only to see them fade away and fall flat. So what should our response to this be? We then as Christians must seek to learn about, the, to learn about and glory in our creator as much as possible. This will allow us to be firmly rooted in Christ that when the temptations of the world come our way, when the world looks down on us for walking this straight and narrow path, we can look forward towards God's kingdom and continue marching forward toward his glory. This leads me to why we are starting a series here in the book of Psalms. Over the next couple of months, we will be looking at a handful of psalms with the goal of seeing and understanding the true character of our God and creator. If we are going to be firmly rooted in this faith, we need to be knowledgeable about our faith and more importantly, about our God. What better way to do this than in a series here on the psalms? You see, I love the psalms because they have a more human feel than some other books of the Bible. Yes, we believe that all scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit and that scripture is written by human authors with their own unique styles. But nowhere is it more obvious than here in the Psalms. As each of the psalmists are going through the throes of life, we get to see the emotions that they are experiencing through their poetry, and by extension, are able to use the same words to categorize our own experiences. So not only can we study the character of God through the words of the psalmists, but we can also see a proper reaction baked right here into the text. So tonight, we're going to be starting with Psalm 1 because of its introductory nature to the book. 
Psalm 1, you see, is an exhortation to us as an audience as we begin to study the whole book of Psalms. In the ESV, it's titled, The Way of the Righteous and the Wicked. This passage describes to us the two ways of living that a person can live. The righteous one with God and the wicked one without him. We will look tonight at the benefits of taking the righteous path which are that God directs us on the path of righteousness, that God sustains us on the path of righteousness, and that God saves us on the path of righteousness. All of this in hoping that we will see that God is with us on the righteous path. Let's begin by looking at the first two verses of this text It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. At the beginning of this psalm, we clearly see laid out that there are two distinct groups in which this psalm will follow. This first stanza that we see here deals with their motivations behind their ways of living and, and for both groups and where they get their direction in life. This leads me to my first point for this evening. God directs us on the path of righteousness. I'll say that one more time. God directs us on the path of righteousness. In the opening of this psalm, we see, the first fra- in, we see right here in the first phrase the words, blessed is the man. This should immediately call us as the audience to attention because, because whatever is coming next will lead to blessing. And frankly, who doesn't want blessing? We then as an audience would expect there to be a positive exhortation immediately following this promise of blessing but instead we run into a negative exhortation. In fact, we not only see one negative exhortation, but three that need to be avoided in order to be blessed. The three groups that we see that the blessed man should avoid are those of the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers. What is interesting about these three groups is that each is getting progressively more sinful as we are introduced to each group. The first group being the wicked are understood to be those who are declared unrighteous. These are the people who have done wrong in their life and have become unclean because of their sin. They no longer can be perfect on their own accord because they have committed sin and can never reach perfection again. Before Christ, this was all of us. The second group that we see, being the sinners, are those who have started to make a habit of committing sin. It is no longer it, it has no longer become a simple, a simple breaking of the law once or twice, but, but an habitual sinning and embracing their sin. Their minds have become calloused because they can no longer see the harm which they are doing and start to encourage others to do the same. The third group, being the worst of the three, is the scoffers. These are people who are not only embracing 
the sin that they are committing, but they are actively discouraging and opposing the righteous. They laugh and they mock the people who are trying to live a righteous life, honoring to God and, and, and are, are opposing the righteous actively. They, uh, they laugh and mock these people who are trying to live this righteous life and try again to be, who are also trying to be uh, against the righteous at any point that they can. The idea of trying to be righteous is absurd to them to which they will even try to claim that their own lifestyle is righteous, even though it is filled with immorality and selfishness. But take a second look at me, a second look with me at the verbs that are used here in this first verse. The verbs that we see each accompany uh, each individual group. We see the verbs walk, stand, and sit. As each verb appears, the unrighteous person is slowing down and associating more and more with these people. They begin by walking in the counsel of the wicked, looking to them for advice and direction. Eventually, they stand in the way of sinners, making habits just as they do, only for them to finally sit with the scoffers and join in in ridiculing the righteous. This is what happens to any person who walks the way of the wicked. Over time, they begin to embrace their sin and have become more and more opposed to righteousness. We are seeing this happen right before our eyes in our culture. There was a time that the Christian worldview was the most widely accepted view in the West. But now, That is no longer good enough. Culture hasn't started to embrace their sin and create for themselves a self-righteousness and scoff at the biblically and godly standards for righteousness. So what are we to do? We then should be avoiding, we should then avoid going to these groups in our lives for direction. Remember that these two verses start off with a promise of blessing for the person who avoids these groups of people, but this also isn't the end of the sentence. We see the first word of verse two beginning with the conjunction, but. This means that the psalmist is offering us an alternative to this unrighteous way of living. And in our case, that is delighting in the law of the Lord, delighting in God's word and his teaching. The psalmist continues by telling us that the righteous person does not merely visit the law of the Lord on occasion. He isn't only reading the scriptures on a Sunday and calling it good enough. He is instead immersing himself in the scriptures and meditating on God's word both day and night. He doesn't just visit the scriptures, but he lives in it, letting himself be transformed by it and shaping his entire worldview around the word of God. It is by the word of God alone that the righteous person should seek direction in life. Now let's pause for a second and again focus on another word here in this second verse, the word delight. What does it mean to delight in something? 
Well, delight simply means to take great pleasure in something. So if we are going to take great pleasure in something, then we should be constantly seeking to interact with it. For example, many of you know that I am engaged. Well, every night before I go to bed, I video call Rebecca and we talk about our days and delight in each other's company, even though we are hundreds of miles away. Say if I were to stop calling her every night, even though, uh, say I were to stop calling her every night and instead only start to call her once a week, would I truly be delighting in her presence and our relationship? How can I delight in her if I'm not spending time with her? Well, that's how some of us look and treat God's word. If we are going to meditate on the scriptures both day and night, then we need also to delight in it. The problem is, it is easy to outwardly say that we are delighting in God, but at home, to paraphrase our good friend Spurgeon, there is enough dust on our Bibles to write damnation with our fingers. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to walk the righteous path, if we are going to grow closer to God, we need to be meditating on the words of scripture. There is only one map for this trail of righteousness, and we find it here in the words of scripture. So tonight, I am asking you, where are you looking for your direction in life? Is the culture around you informing you how you should live your life? Or are you looking to the word of God and the life of Christ for that direction? If anything that you are looking for or guidance is anything less than based in scripture, then throw it to the wayside and instead turn to God's word for your direction in walking the righteous path because it will lead you to blessing from the Lord. Let's then look at the next two verses. Picking back up in verse three, it says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The next stanza of our psalm shifts from where the righteous and the wicked are receiving their direction to life to how they are being fed and sustained. We just saw the decisions of the righteous and the wicked in terms of how they will live their lives. And in this stanza, we start to see the immediate results of their ways of living. We see specifically the metaphor of a tree in an incredibly healthy environment and flourishing because God is over it. Which, repre- which is in turn representing the righteous person. While also we see here in this section that the wicked are not like this, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. This leads me to my second point for this evening. God sustains us on the path of righteousness. The psalmist paints for us a beautiful picture of how the righteous person is surviving and thriving in life. We as an audience should not be too surprised to see this type of metaphor of a righteous person as a tree. 
agricultural metaphors are jam-packed throughout Scripture. The agricultural metaphors are easy for us as an audience to understand uh, on the surface while also being deep in their meaning when examined closely. So let's examine this metaphor bit by bit so we can see the full picture that the psalmist here is painting. He begins by comparing the righteous man to a tree, then gives us more and more specific details about that tree. The first is that the tree is planted by streams of water. This means that the tree constantly has a fresh source of nourishment at all times. He is not planted by a pool of still water that can be contaminated easily or will eventually dry up. Instead, it is planted by fresh running water that is constantly coming. This tree will never be thirsty because it will always have water to drink and nourish it. What this looks like practically is what we talked about earlier, sinking your teeth into the word of God. Whether it's listening to sermons, attending Bible studies and prayer meetings or reading the scriptures for yourself, all of those things help to feed us as Christians. Because the righteous person is being fed and nourished, he is also uh, able to bear fruit in, his, in its season. There is no need to worry about the harvest. If the righteous person was not planted by streams of water, he would not be able to produce fruit in the first place. But because the righteous person is receiving all that he needs, he can produce fruit for the glory of God. The same is true of us. Once we are planted by fresh streams of water where we can grow in our knowledge of God and commune with him, we are then able to start honoring God with our fruit. What's amazing is that this fruit is guaranteed. The psalm does not say that the tree will occasionally yield fruit uh, or that the tree will yield fruit whenever it feels like it. Instead, we are taking in the word of God for ourselves and being conformed to the image of Christ. Then we will bear fruit in the time that God has appointed so that he may be honored. The final thing that the the psalmist describes about this tree is that its leaf does not wither and in all that he does, he prospers. Because the righteous person is firmly rooted in the things of God, he's being sustained in all that he does. He is seeking God and in return receives blessing, but not necessarily in the way that our sinful minds might initially think. When we hear of blessing initially, we can begin to think of things like physical and financial prosperity. Instead, what is, here me- what is meant here in this idea is spiritual prosperity. God will bless us, God will bless his people and help them grow to give God glory, just as happening right here in this tree metaphor. The thing is, this idea of prosperity should not be our end goal, but merely a byproduct of following after God. Seeking after God is always our primary purpose and following God gives us spiritual prosperity, meaning that we will receive the ultimate gift of salvation by walking the righteous path. When we think of this perfect tree, 
prospering in all he does in all that he does we have just one example of a person that we can look to for guidance that being Jesus Christ Christ came to earth and lived a perfect life he actively obeyed every dot every iota of the law without ever breaking it Jesus was rooted in the scriptures, studying it for himself so that he could honor his father with the fruit that he was producing. His leaf never withered as he stayed true to God, even to his gruesome death on the cross. He prospered to the point where he conquered death, something that only he could do so that he could pay the penalty for our sins and we could share in his inheritance. Christ is the ultimate and perfect example of what the psalmist is describing here in this tree metaphor. So we then, as Christians reading this passage right now, should be trying to emulate Christ as much as we can if our goal is to walk this righteous path. As we try to be like Christ, God will sustain us and help us to grow so that we may, be, may look more like him. In this section, the psalmist also describes how the wicked are completely unsustained. In verse four, we see the psalmist describe the wicked as chaff that the wind drives away. Now, I don't know about all of you, but chaff is not a word that I use very often in my vocabulary. So uh, let me just tell you really quickly what chaff is. Chaff is the natural protective casing that goes around grains. So when the process of threshing grains is happening, the chaff itself is separated from the grain because it is indigestible to us as humans, making it effectively worthless. Therefore, the psalmist is here pointing out how that those who, are, who have rooted themselves in wickedness will, be dry, will, will dry up and be blown away by the wind. As one commentator beautifully put it, while the rooted and water tree exudes an, era, or an aura of endurance and stability, the unnourished wicked have no permanence. So, My question for you this evening is this. Which of these descriptions describe you? Are you trying to live a life that is self-sustaining, where you are looking to yourself or the things of this world for endurance? Are you looking towards, towards people for endurance? Are you looking towards things like alcohol or drugs or whatever it be? Are you looking to anything other than God for endurance? If so, the thing that you are relying on will only bring you toward destruction. Instead, run to our Heavenly Father who is faithfully watching over us and guiding us to His glory. Follow the straight and narrow path that He is directing you on. It will be difficult, but the Lord will sustain you in every step of the path. If you are planted in God this evening, then let me encourage you to continue to grow your roots deeper. Spend more time in prayer and scripture study if you have that time available. 
read a theological book in your, in your free time. I'm sure Hugh or I could give you a wide number of different recommendations. Essentially, run to the Lord and continue to be rooted in the things of his kingdom. Now finally, and quickly, let us look at the last two verses of this passage. Picking up in verse five, it's there, it says, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners of the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. At the end of the psalm, our author then fast forwards to peek at the end of both paths of living. The finish lines for the wicked and the righteous have always been established, even from the beginning of time. And depending on which road you take, the outcome is always the same. For the wicked, their end is complete separation from God. But for the righteous, they are known by God, which leads me to my final point for this evening. God saves us on the path of righteousness. The state of all mankind on each of their own accords walks the path of wickedness. Ever since the fall of man by our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, we have developed a sinful nature. We see this all over scripture. We see in the book of Romans chapter three where Paul says that no one is righteous. In 1 John chapter one, we see that if we, that if we say that we have no sin, that we are deceiving ourselves. Ephesians two says that we are all dead in our trespasses. The Bible tells us this boldly. We are all sinners. There's no one who stands among us today who can claim to be without sin because we all sin. If we were to then continue to walk this path of wickedness, we see here in this verse the ultimate consequences for our rebellion. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous the way of the wicked will perish. If we try to enter into heaven based on our own merits alone, we will never even come close to seeing its gates. Praise the Lord that this isn't the only option. The path of righteousness has been made known to us. Jesus Christ came to earth and walked the path of righteousness perfectly, Dying a death that was meant for the unrighteous, all that also that we may be reconciled and known by God. The work of Christ has given us the best reward that we could ever receive the salvation of our own souls. The Holy Spirit entered into our hearts and helped correct our course instead of taking the wide road that leads to destruction as Christ, as Christ describes in the Gospels, God showed us the straight and narrow path that leads to knowing him and being known by him. What is so beautiful about being known by God is this, not, this knowing is not simply in the intellectual sense. Again, as one commentator puts it, 
the Hebrew word for knowledge is understood to be the end result of experience and relationship. Thus, the way of the righteous is one that God knows well from experience because he has traveled it before and knows all its twists and turns. God's knowledge of the way of the righteous is a deep commitment to love and care for his own. We aren't simply saved from perishing in hell on this righteous path, but we develop a deep relationship with God that can never be broken. So as we, rec- as we see the results of the, two paths, of the two different paths of life in front of us, I want to ask you very plainly tonight, which path are you walking on? Do you walk towards your own destruction because you continue to live in sinful habits and lifestyles? If that is you, then repent of your sin and fall at the feet of Jesus. He is the one who perfectly walked this path of righteousness and will lead you down this path if you trust in him as your savior. He is gracious and will forgive you of your iniquities if you come to faith in him. Now, if you are already walking on this path, then I would like to implore you tonight, keep going forward. Keep walking towards the Lord by delighting in his word, planting yourself in good teaching and spending time with the Lord in prayer. Plant yourself by the living water and stay there for you will never be thirsty again. Your leaf will not wither and you will prosper in all that you do and bear fruit for God's glory. Don't fall for the world's temptation, but trust in God alone for he is with you on this righteous path. Amen. Please pray with me.